Hello, I'm Stephanie Luo. Welcome to my podcast, Surface Time Confessions of a Diving Junkie, where I chinwag with people who are like me, scuba diver and chronic addict to being underwater. During the surface time today, I spoke with Kate Paget Co, who is an artist and has special interest in environmental sustainability, especially in fashion. She expresses her creativity through many media, including painting and upcycling. Water is an element that plays a huge part in her life and how she shapes her autobiography. I love what she said. We can all be a piece of art ourselves. In a way, we use clothing or tires or even presses to communicate who we are, our identity, what we are, what we believe in, and to speak about ourselves. Kate, thank you for joining me. Great to be here, Stephanie. I'm so glad that we actually managed to meet in person. I know. And they catch you. En route, yes. So you've been traveling quite a bit, really. Yeah, from Hong Kong, Singapore to Italy, Ischia, Naples, and the Venice Biennale, then to the UK to visit my family, and then two weeks in Dubai, okay. and then back to Singapore. <laughs> How was Dubai? It was really good, but it is the desert. It's hot. Mm -hmm. It's dry. Yeah. Uh, a lot happening there. Quite busy. Yeah. I think it's quite busty now. I've got some friends that live in Dubai and then they seem to be really active now. They yeah. Go. No, no COVID, no pandemic, everything happening. So I'm going to start with my classic opening question for the uh, service time. What was... Your last memorable dive. My last memorable dive was actually, I was just thinking about it. We just chatted about it. Really memorable was when I found my dream anemone fish that I hadn't found anywhere else in the world. And we were in a unnamed dive site in Alor. In the middle of nowhere, there's no real commercial diving in the area. And the dive master said, okay, we'll name this, this John's whatever. I can't remember my husband's name. And, and I said, can I have both of it? So they named the other part. There were two parts to it. Kate's garden, which is where I found my dream anemone fish. I guess he or she was a cross between a clogs and another anemone. And so the markings were quite special. I have so many memorable dives, but sadly during this pandemic, I haven't dived. Now I'm remembering my last other memorable dive would probably be in Hawaii, the night dive with the manta rays. When I first married my husband, he said to me, we're going to go to Hawaii one time and we're going to do the night dive with the manta rays. And it took us ages. Then we finally went in 2018. And so there was a lot of volcanic activity that year. And the, the dive organization said to us, I don't know if we'll see anything. We haven't been able to rely upon the number of creatures here that we normally can. So I can't tell you what we'll see. So you go down and you go, go over the campfire, which is that light. And during that dive, I literally had five like coming over me and they're so close. It was amazing. So amazing. And they just almost touch you. So it's beautiful. And were they the oceanic manta ray? They actually have no concern for other creatures. At all. 
And they it's don't. quite, they like to feel the bubble. Oh. Because we went to Yap, mm-hmm. where they have a lot, you know, that it, you go to Yap to dive with the manta rays. Mm-hmm. And they, they will literally come over you and come down so they can feel the bubbles on their belly. It's so cute. I'm picking my jaw off the floor. <laughs> it. So cute. I and didn't know that was yeah. the attraction. Yeah. It's the bubble wars that they're addicted to. They, they're actually very curious. And I always think they're so like, cute and cuddly. <laughs> they don't frighten me at all. <laughs> they're not frightening. I think you said the cute and cuddly is not exactly the, <laughs> the, the, the typical word that you were used to describe mental rape. But because their shape is so odd, you almost don't expect them to exist. As a real thing, exactly. Then when you got up close and personal with them, it's they kind of turn into cute. It's just lovely. Yeah. Interact with. Yeah, it's so extraordinary to get that close to that kind of creature. Yeah. And not be terrified that they're going to want to bite you, right? Yeah. So it is fair to say you are a diving junkie. Yeah, I feel like a bit of a fake because I haven't been since 2018. What keeps drawing you to the ocean? There's a few things. One is I am by nature adventurous. Secondly, I find that underwater such a magical place. I love nature. And so this morning I ran in botanics here in Singapore. And this is like my experience feeling alive and connected. But when I'm underwater, I feel so alive and connected. It's just like being in a magical world. And as a little girl, I had these Walt Disney books. And I wanted to live in one of those magical Disney films, but my ideal one, I also wanted to live underwater. So I guess if I had an ideal world, it would be like living in that Nemo world. Yeah. Or being a mermaid in that kind of world. So it's just so magical, colorful. I do have a lot of water in my horoscope mm-hmm. and and scorpio rising and scorpio moon which i was told is all about the deep sea mm-hmm. it's interesting yeah. it's just really adventure nature and how magical it is i like you bringing the idea the notion of that water element being a signature element in your horoscope or astrology before we go into that you mentioned about the colorfulness and yourself as an artist, and I've seen as some of your paintings as well. And, and especially one is with the underwater thing. Four figures is a, a thing there, yeah. mermaid and merman, and anemone fish, turtle. Yeah. And it's very colorful. And it's just exactly what you described. Yeah, exactly. And I want to ask you, what captions have you given to that painting? What caption? What would I call it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. That one. It was capturing a time when myself, my husband, my best friend and her partner at the time went diving and it was to capture that experience. I have some others where I literally named the mermaid. Mm-hmm. So I have one called Princess Artigatis of Wakatobi. So I always tell people that there's a mermaid at Wakatobi and I will create these mythical creatures that exist in those waters. And I have this big thing about infinite magic and infinite miracles. So I usually have that as part of how I name my work. It's mm-hmm. all about feminine power, beauty, and the infinity of magic and miracles. And then 
I discovered there are two mythical goddesses. So there is Celestia, who's a mermaid. She's, I think she's the female version of Neptune. And then there's Sedna, which is the Eskimo Inuit okay. goddess. So Sedna was thrown into the sea by her father. And instead of resisting, she surrendered and went into the water. And her body parts became creatures. Mm -hmm. So I had this, sounds a bit crazy. I had this dream about Celestia when I was in Portugal. Mm -hmm. And I was right by the sea, where the sea comes in to meet the ocean to meet the river in Porto. And I had this dream of her coming up. And so I have this kind of belief that we all have another part of us that wants to be in other parts of the elements. So my next body of work is all about these mermaid and bringing them to life, really creating a future in this world that you know, so connected with nature, mm -hmm. so aware of what's around us, mm -hmm. so able to experience so much more than the mundane. Yeah. And I think that's really important for where we are now in humanity. Mermaid is the word that for years I've not heard it be mentioned, but in the recent years I'm actually hearing a lot more. And I think it's also lots of encouragement campaign raising awareness about going diving on the water. And, and then this is proper training course to become a mermaid. Is that? Oh. <laughs> Let's just swim. Like mermaid. Oh, wearing the costume. Oh, okay. Coming back to mermaid, it's a lovely creature to talk about because it's mythical and I think it's so important for us adults to talk about it, to reconnect with the creativity, the inner child. And I think there's a need to do that. And I, I see that you have translate that through your work. Yeah. When I was looking at your website, the phrase when art meets fashion caught my eyes. I'm curious to know what happens when art meets fashion. I got into fashion and really I wanted to be an artist, but I have a very practical direction in life. Usually I think that fashion can be the easiest expression of living art and some fashion designers and certainly before it became such a a massive global industry, especially the luxury goods industry and the fast fashion industry, it, it has had the potential and was the clothing could be a piece of art. If you look at vintage fashion, if you look at many types of early pieces of the designers we know now, beautiful. I still think that many of the things that are made now are, I just do believe that it's become so much of a commercial venture that a lot of the kind of whimsy and that kind of artistry has existed less, existed for a different purpose. I find that there are some brands for restless sleepers mm -hmm. from Italy or Buttram, which is what I'm wearing. I wear a lot of her pieces mm -hmm. and I do it myself. I've got some beautiful pieces that I make for myself. It's like you wear something and it is literally like art, mm. even when you're working, but it's a print, you've thought about, you want to have an experience of something on your body that isn't just to keep you warm or cool or cover you up, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I really think that we can be a piece of art ourselves. Why not? Why blend in? Why not just make the world a more beautiful place? I like that. And I think it's very empowering hearing you saying it. Uh, as women, 
I think most of us all struggle with the body image. Mm. There's a constant doubt or comparison. Yeah, and the critique. And I like the way you present it where we dress ourselves as a piece of art, an expression of yourself. Expression of yourself is the key part. How would you elaborate about the expression of self? Because I think lots of people don't necessarily know what that really means. Expression of yourself. I think people don't know probably because they're quite disconnected with who they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll understand what I mean. If you've done it, diving, you by nature have to spend a lot of time not talking and being distracted. You've got to focus on where you are, how safe you are. And yet you go into another world. So there's a certain reflection that comes with that. So I do think that being quiet, this massive trend for meditation and all those sound, breath work, all of these things, I think more and more people are reconnecting with themselves. When you get connected with yourself, gradually you will find what is your natural self-expression. It may not be through clothes. But for many people, I think it is, Mm -hmm. and it can be. Mm -hmm. And as a woman, we have the opportunity to express that. Mm -hmm. There's so many things available to makeup and clothes as an expression, not as constraint. Yeah, instead of etching blocks about who you are and who, not everybody's going to read their sentences, but you just walk out, you'll get home and they say, Exactly, exactly. You mentioned you did work in the corporate before. Yeah, I've worked a lot in the fashion industry. And what was that like for you? I mean, the one thing I I was also quite curious is in your blog, you mentioned that you felt that there's something missing in the corporate. Yes, I think the comparison comes up when you are senior executive in work in a corporate environment. Is it always self-expression? There's a lot of comparison on how well you're doing. I was quite ambitious and competitive and also really self-critical. I find it very easy to treat myself like a machine. Mm-hmm. So I would work really hard. There's a lot of expectation to work hard. And I just got to the point I felt really burnt out. And I did have a bit of an existential crisis because I just got to the point where why are we spending so much time to put more things in the planet that are going to go to landfill? And that, for me, just became pointless mm-hmm. and, in a way, very different from, from many of the values that I have. And I know I have many friends and ex-colleagues, people I know from the industry who spent a lot of time working hard to produce too much, and we didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm involved in sustainable fashion. I do a lot of work around the sustainable development goals and so on. And that I'm really committed to. But nevertheless, there has been a lot of damage done already. And it's still happening. Yeah. happening as well. What I'm hearing is that you're working in the industry where at first you thought you enjoy something and being pragmatic about it. And you're doing something related to producing art. However, at the same time, this this is part of the byproduct where people wanting to capitalize whatever they have in the asset. And in that process, certain value systems get twisted. And over the period of time, what you saw 
is um, it's going towards a direction where that's totally against. Yeah, exactly. Leave. Yeah, and linking back to like being scuba diver, I, I think one of the common points among scuba divers is somehow we are a lot more aware, become a lot more aware of the environment, the environment, the climate change. Because when we want to go somewhere and wanting to meet certain creature, when they're not there, the first thing comes to our minds like climate change. Yeah, I think people have become aware of the damages and actions have been taken or measures been taken to help to reduce the damage. What have you seen? You, you mentioned earlier that you're very much involved and committed to the sustainability aspects of it. So what have you been working on? So there's a lot of things, fashion related, there's a lot of work I've done in various companies I've worked in and I'm currently engaged. I live in Hong Kong and I've come across recently the Fullerton has opened in Hong Kong and they have a project with a startup from Hong Kong doing tiles which they can sell they can rescue the broken pieces of coral and they can rebuild the reefs which is super interesting because I always had this feeling like Hong Kong really cared that much about mm-hmm. what was happening in in the ocean and then I came across uh, somebody he removes the ghosts in those Hong Kong waters. Yeah. And there are actually many people who are, like us, very committed and therefore will go out and create things. Mm-hmm. And I think whether it's actually physically building a business around that or sharing a lot of awareness, I'm always trying to educate them that plastic needs to go somewhere. I, I think if I look back at my career, a lot of things we didn't know about and then suddenly it's like woken up gone oh my god this is really a problem mm. and we've got to do something about it but i think a lot of people just aren't necessarily aware mm-hmm. of how damaging it is and what i would say is in terms of fast fashion i actually haven't bought fast fashion for the past two decades i'm proud to i've bought fashion but i tend to keep my clothes mm-hmm. now i'm really keen on upcycling i've I really reduced a lot of what i bought and I'm really committed to educate people on what they can. There has been maybe a couple of generations, at least one, who literally treat clothing like a throwaway item. It's like buying a coffee. Mm-hmm. And in many respects, it's the same price mm-hmm. as buying you know, an expensive coffee. You can buy a T-shirt for that price. So I think that is an education that needs to happen. Because as long as that's okay, we can't blame those people because they've been taught that it's fine. That's the way it is. Mm-hmm. And there's always more coming and it's cheap enough for you to buy it. But what many, many people don't know is when you're finished with it, it's either going to be incinerated or it's going into landfill or it's going somewhere, waste somewhere that is going to have to deal with that problem. I think people don't think too much about it. There's a difference between buying high quality, buying, um, say, clothing item made of high quality materials. And because you actually do pay for that. And because you do pay extra enough, you would pay attention to the captivates because it's like buying a piece of art in a way. You want it to last for as long as possible because you appreciate the craftsmanship that's gone into it. But then at some point, they will become perishable. If they get broken, what do you do next? 
And, and I think that's where most people just opt to instant gratification, put into the rubbish bin and someone else will deal with it. It's no longer my problem. And that's also a reflection of an attitude towards how do you care for your yourself, your personal items, mm. that how you live, right? So I'm curious about like what kind of upcycling that you're doing right now. I've done a few pieces. There's a few people, there's one lady in London called Design, her company's Design Blender. And I, I took pieces that I wasn't going to wear, but I didn't want to get rid of. And there are a lot of consignment sites, Vestia and so on. Mm-hmm. But clothing tends to have very little resale value unless it's unworn. It's pretty pointless to do or unless it's really on trend again or it's mm-hmm. really vintage. So I'd heard from a friend of this lady and I thought, oh, I'll try it out. So she worked with me on what I wanted, why I didn't wear it, what I still loved about it mm-hmm. and what I would want. And so we created brand new dress, which I, I've actually Worn far more than a waterproof, but it's back to self-expression and art. She'd made it in a way that I would so wear. I got married in Singapore and I had my own wedding dress made out of a sari, a wedding sari, but I had it made in this kind of sexy halter style, but I wasn't going to wear that anymore. So I got that upside. It's like a cocktail dress. So that lovely. And I've just done another one, which were two pieces put together. I think you'll love this one. I had a Saleron jacket, which was a bit too big and didn't really, looked never looked quite right because it was meant to be very lean and it was a little bit big and it was, it's cream. So it had a coffee stain on it, mm-hmm. but I got, it's, design what are they called fashion clinic in hong kong and matty there took some piece some images from my art and embroidered an orchid a bird a butterfly beautiful there's make the kind of a makeover of the absolutely the south yeah. but with your art yeah it's gorgeous and then covering up the uh, yeah <laughs> But I'll just, yeah, that's something I've always constantly thinking about. I have an idea and to execute it, I would require someone else to do it for me. It would be a very interesting thing that you to grow as an, an, as an online platform for people to think about. And, and it's not just thrifting, it's actually no. upcycle your clothes. Precious things. It's not the cheapest way to deal with it. Cheapest way to put it in the bin or to get rid of it. But if you want to give it new life mm-hmm. and... Each one has been, you know, like extraordinary new life. Yeah. Have you ever thought about like pitching that as a TV oh, program? That is a good idea, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting, I can see you quite good at it, collaborating with people. And I think it's very needed in Hong Kong as well. It is needed and making it fun. Instead of putting more new fashion out there. And there was a program years ago by this guy called Gok. Yeah, Gok Wan. It was a TV program where he compete with another fashion designer and then he would go to the high street. And they would go to the designer, like all the top labels. Yeah. And then and to see who, whose fashion sense is more palatable to the audience. They wouldn't know which mm-hmm. one belongs to which. And I quite, I, what I really liked what he did was literally say, we can repurpose this and make it more fashionable. Yeah. Okay, it wasn't really focusing on upcycling, but I think the act of 
altering a fast fashion, that itself is already a starting point. Mm. And his philosophy was really making the most of what's there. And that was with the people he worked with, people who complained about certain parts of their body, weren't happy with themselves, and he made them look amazing Mm -hmm. from high street. And then he made the high street clothes look even more amazing than we would at first see them. Yeah, I can see the the, um, <laughs> the Asian version. So it'd be quite a bit of irony that he's the uh, Oriental yeah, based. Yeah, <laughs> on the TV show in the in the UK, he could do one in Hong Kong. Yeah, it's amazing. I actually want to ask you a bit more about astrology. You've been living in Asia for some time, and I assume that you're quite familiar with that the Asian kind of culture mentality, that Chinese music fixes. What have you picked up? So many different takes on it. Because as I said, I'm curious. I'm So I'm married to a Singaporean who hasn't been very aware of astrology and so on. So I, I always look into my Chinese chart, which is very interesting. And I had a reading done at the end of last year by an English lady who does... Joanna? Yeah. That's how the other she is amazing. Yeah, she did it. Yes. And I've spent a lot of time in India. So I've done reading with Indian astrologers. Oh, and I did warn. Gee, I'm not wearing those rings. He got me to buy some sapphire and emerald. And I usually always wear those, never take them off. And then he told me that 2024 was like the peak of my life and I think I did it way back in maybe 2014 or something and I was like oh this is so far away whatever the world could have ended and now I'm close and I think oh, you know, the way things are going that feels right this is where I'm really getting into like the fullest expression of myself and then the funny thing is I've had a lot of readings with western astrology the western astrologers who live or spent a lot of time in Asia. So I find it very interesting that we all weave in and out of these cultures. Mm-hmm. And I, I just like to keep learning more because the more nuances, the more interesting. Mm-hmm. And the more takes on myself or my partner or my friends I can get. Mm-hmm. And the greater understanding and awareness of what's going on with me. Mm-hmm. It's not about fortune telling. No. It's very much about the way I see it, be it Western astrology, Indian, Veda astrology, and the Chinese, they're lots of different schools. I think what really boils down to the way I I perceive it is we all come in and born with the set of codes. It's like a bit like a computer program, but embedded in our physical body. And through the environment where we are exposed to and there's a question of how much are we willing to dig deeper into ourselves to identify those codes because we get distracted by the external environment yeah and by reading the codes are also a reflection of how you perceive the world because external environment will affect your way of thinking and how you conduct that dialogue through all those information from other people it's also it's almost like they're reading you and they're deciphering your code, they're reading it objectively. So I think that's also a way for you to yeah, expand your ex- self-expression. Definitely, definitely. So, somebody gave me a Batsa reading for my birthday this year, and I really didn't like it. 
and really did not like it. She said that the execution of something I was doing wasn't good. And I was like, seriously? And I just tested positive for COVID that day. So I think I was like really heavy headed at the same time. And then I thought, hold on, hold on. Are you going to dismiss that or there's something to reflect on here? And I actually went back and looked at that aspect. And it was how I was executing certain parts of my business. And I thought, actually, there's something, really something for me to take to the next level, enhance, improve on. Because I was just like very, do, very much doing what people wanted me to do. I was checking, like I was probably over delivering. And I took it as a criticism when she said, oh, this isn't happening. You know, you aren't executing this in a, a way which is good for you. And then it gave me an opportunity to restructure that. Mm-hmm. So everything has its value. Yeah. yeah. It's just maybe the way they express it. Yeah, it? exactly. I want to ask you uh, five questions that I normally ask my guests. Okay. The first one's relating to diving. So what are your top three tips for safe diving practice? Firstly is make sure you're well-trained and keep your tra- training current. Understand the equipment, number two. Mm-hmm. It's too easy. We all are very lazy with understanding how equipment really works. So your dive computer is critical and not relying on somebody else to take care of you underwater. And the third one, I think there's a lot we could say, but the third one is understand where you feel uncomfortable and it's not the same for everyone. So as an example, my first liverboard was at Truck Lagoon and I thought I will never do penetration in wrecks, never. I couldn't think of anything more terrifying. But what I found out was I wasn't scared of it at all. So I could go in all the tight places. What I'm scared of is wide open spaces. (laughs) Okay. So when I went to Palau, which is, it's the blue, I freaked out. So then train yourself around that because mm-hmm. that's something you will never know until you experience it so as soon as I would I literally couldn't see the bottom or the side mm-hmm. I would start breathing really fast mm-hmm. I burn through the tank mm-hmm. and really like scared mm-hmm. so I did a lot of pool training on my buoyancy mm-hmm. before we went to Galapagos because mm-hmm. there's a lot of current and I know that I'm going to get triggered in those open spaces. Yeah. For other people, it'll be creatures they're scared of or whatever. But if you find what that is that triggers you and start dealing with that in a practical way. There's a light philosophy out of it, actually. Most <laughs> of us don't talk about it when we are feeling uncomfortable. We tend to just bury it, bury it <laughs> or steal it. And then one day explored to become unattainable, that unmanageable. For diving particularly, it's very important to know what triggers you, that you're right. For some people, being uh, diving in blue water, it's fine. They love it. It's complete freedom. For some people? Also for other people, they night dive, they can't deal with it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because they, they just perceive that as a claustrophobic because you can't see more than two. And some, something's got to come and get you. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's against dealing with your fear. Yeah. And and they're not conscious fears. You don't know where these come from. Yeah. Really. And I've come across many couples 
or ma male divers where their partner has dived once and had a bad experience or dived a few times and had a bad experience and they won't get in the water again. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really unfortunate because diving is not a safe sport, right? It, it's a dangerous sport. But if you can understand yourself and where your limitations are currently and then move beyond them, mm -hmm. then there's so much so much available. Yeah. And I think, again, it's how willing and how ready you are to get over it and to manage that fear because you, first, like you say, you need to identify that when it's triggered, it comes from nowhere. But then when it happens, go back and look at it. Yeah. Really yeah. The trigger and then find a way to deal with it because then once you're able to take control, then the rest of it will fall into places. And, and I think, yeah, we see that a lot. You're right. There are lots of people, mostly... Uh, the female diver who had bad experience and just never want to go back in. And especially around buoyancy, because of the way our body is, we easily get tipped upside down. You know, and your legs are up in the air when mm. with the current and you, I got slammed against the wall with my legs. Up, I couldn't move and I was certain I was going to get shoved up in my lung or something. And actually, it's scary in that moment, but yeah, it didn't stop stop me diving again. Yeah, stay calm. Yeah. <laughs> Coral death. <laughs> Thanks for that. The next one, outside scuba diving, what do you do to maintain your own well-being? Uh, you've heard a lot. Have fun, pay, draw, trouble. I have lots of pets. Mm -hmm. I have four dogs and now two cats. Uh, time with them. A lot of time with my husband. I enjoy my work a lot. I work with some amazing brands. And what else? A lot. I exercise a lot. I'm also a runner. So you're actually constantly making sure that your curiosity stays alive and you like constantly stimulate. It's not like you're ADHD, you're not. No. You could be in a non-clinical yeah, yeah, yeah. way of describing it because you, you need to do different things. But the whole point is that by doing that, you draw energy that nourishes you. And I think with some people, they may need to do the opposite, like do nothing. And then, and then they sit there and then let the energy come back. And, and I think, again, probably you need to know yourself. Yeah. Because yeah. right? I, I have to say, meditation not necessarily is for everyone. No. Okay, thanks. Next one. What advice would you give to your 18-year-old self? Learn to scuba dive as soon as possible. <laughs> I was always obsessed with tropical fish and seeing those colorful places. And, yeah, well, anyway. I, I did it, but that's what I would say. Be as adventurous as possible. I know I need to be, being adventurous is the most important thing for me. Would you call yourself a, an explorer in life? Probably. I, I like to be in places that are unusual. No, I've spent my adult life, you know, and I wouldn't have had it any other way. You know, I, I don't generally want to live like an expat. Mm -hmm. I want to live with my husband's Asian my friends out I want to be in interesting different cultures so I can learn more and experience more mm -hmm. you really immerse yourself yeah, yeah. into the culture and really experience I think the it's that you're collecting experiences I'm just waiting for you to come up with your own story how you yeah them the future yeah interesting um my husband is Peranakan and I've studied like culture a lot mm -hmm. i love that the, the peranakan culture and how people come from one place 
place and go to another yeah. and create a community and then a whole load of visual and physical things, clothing, yeah. Yeah. furniture, yeah. all of those things that are, are a part of that. I particularly love the Peranakan culture because it's so beautiful and decorative. And a lot of Singapore culture is around that decorative, orchidy, colorful, floral. It's a garden city. Garden I State. I love the, the Peranakan clothing. Yeah. And for women. The Saronka Baya, yeah. It's always say you, you have, doesn't matter what size you are, this image you tell And I love it. Yeah, beautiful. It's catered for all women. And that again, art becomes passion. Yes, exactly. Okay, so what's one life-changing experience that you can think of now? It would be, I've got to go on a trip to Hong Kong for three weeks for work and I remember arriving and walking outside and looking at Victoria Peak and thinking I'm going to live here. I set off a course of event then that had me living there by the end of that year and then literally my life changed forever. That's it. That's it. Hong Kong. Coming to Asia. Yeah. Hong Kong has this um, effect on many people from West. You get there for the and you just get there with the intention I'm just staying there for like Couple of weeks. A few years, couple of weeks. For me, it's at maximum 18 months. Then 14 years later. And the next one, what are you most passionate about right now? Like, I think we've learned a lot over the last few years about there's going to be circumstances around us mm-hmm. which are going to limit what we can do. Or it's very easy to have our, it's, be, it's been very easy that we have our freedom taken away in many ways. And Right now, for me, I'm very passionate about what I can create in the world. Nobody's going to give it to me. It's up to me. So I literally look at life every day and look at how I can have an amazing day. That's my, like, that's my thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to complain about things. I don't want to be upset about things. If, okay, of course, things upset me, but who am I going to be around those, mm-hmm. you know, irritations or whatever? And there's... This, we have a beautiful, amazing place where we are right now, where we're sitting right now. It's, it's beautiful here. And there's some extraordinary people on the planet. I just got to meet you. Mm-hmm. And it's up to us to create that. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel. So that's why I'm passionate about life. It's a very beautifully put. And I think it's just really about exploring, enjoying where you are. And, and uh, yes, get upset. It, it does happen, but... Don't sit on it for too long, just move away. And we have a choice to choose to stay pissed off, yeah. choose not to, and then do move on to do something else and switch in the mindset. And yeah, to have that passion for life is really important. Mm. And, and it's inspiring. I hope that it will help to inspire people to think about life and think about what passion means to them. Mm-hmm. And I always say every day there's going to be something magical happen and it might just be like I meet a little dog on the street they come and they're really excited to see me all this morning there was squirrel chickens running around and that makes me very happy you have been listening to surface time confessions of a diving junkie my guest today was Kate Paget Coe an advocate for sustainable fashion and environmental conservation. Self-expression has been the center of our dialogue today. Speaking as a woman, 
When a woman knows herself well and is comfortable in her own skin, she can express her thoughts and visions more effectively. This applies to men as well. The journey of getting to know yourself is part of your life experiences. In that process, as you encounter various people, they can help you to refine your narratives. In Kate's case, she uses her art and love for fashion as a medium to communicate who she is. And I'll leave with you to think about what represents your self-expression. Surface Time is executively produced by Noetic Production and Music by Dress Studio. If you have enjoyed our Surface Time chat, please show us some love and subscribe. And even better, share with your friends and family so that they get to be inspired. And if you would like to share your stories on Surface Time, we would love to hear from you. Please email us to faith at servicetimechats.com.